We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This. Oh yeah, baby. Can't get better than a victory. Monday, the Packers topped the Philadelphia Eagles at Lambeau Field on Sunday, 30-16. to I'm Alex Strofe at Alex underscore Strofe on Twitter with you to break it all down on this wonderful victory Monday alongside my great friend Andy Herman at Andy Herman NFL on the Bird app. What's up, Andy? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Alex. Uh, happy birthday. Uh, it is Thank the you. Monday edition of the podcast. It is officially your birthday. So, uh, you know, one, how old are you? And two, is there any way, you know, better to celebrate than a victory Monday? Uh, to answer your second question first, no, there is not. If we would have lost, it would have been a, a birthday spe- spent in bed probably. Very sad <laughs> uh, because that would have been a horrible loss. And secondly, I'm 22. I'm, I'm at, at the ripe age of 22 now as of today. That's crazy. I can't believe we're the exact same age. It's unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, Andy, you look you look really good for 22, man. That's, Thank that's you. I appreciate you. it. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, you got married at a young age, though. Anyway. I did. Uh, 
<laughs> Let's dive into this. 30 to 16 win for the Packers, which brings them to a nice record of 9 and 3 on the year standalone in second place of the NFC now. When we right before we started recording, you said it was pretty it was a pretty good game all the way through, except there was a couple dumb moments. Bring me into your thoughts on, on yesterday's game. Yeah, so I mean, you know, let's start with the good. There's a lot of good from this. You know, looks like itself for a good majority of the game, put up another 30 spot against uh, a team that I think quietly has a really nice defense. And, you know, I think we can talk about the Colts, you know, the the fact that they put up 28 in the first half and then maybe weren't the same after that. Maybe you can talk about the Bears, you know, not having Akeem Hicks. But overall, they put up points in that game as well. And then the Eagles, you know, there's no really extenuating circumstances here. There's a good Eagles defense. I know their offense isn't the greatest, but... Uh, I thought Green Bay did a really nice job throwing another 30 spot up on offense, some three and outs, which we'll get to later. But the offense kind of controlled thing, uh, things. Even the defense, you know, seven mm-hmm. sacks on the day for the defense. You know, the the first half they they limited them to three points, and it's really just the the one bad play on defense that you know what fourth that, that touchdown. And then, you know, the special teams, unfortunately, was kind of the one that really brought things, uh, you know, down and, and really was, in a way, abysmal. And um, I think you've got, obviously, the punt return for a touchdown. You've got the missed extra points. You had the holding penalty on a punt return. J.K. Scott struggled again. There's really It's really tough to take away anything positive from the special teams in this game. They did actually, Alex, I don't know if you saw this, they did have a kick return that went past the 30 in this game. They did have a kick return that went past the 30, so I guess kudos for that. But um, overall, really solid game, impressive performance. They get a win at home. They continue, um, you know, with a a 9-3 record. My, My one thing is that, you know, this is it's kind of like Mortal Kombat, right? Like, you know, Green Bay has them staggered, you know, has teams staggered, like, over and over and over throughout the season. And, you know, finish them is just flashing across the screen. And you just want to see the Packers have that, like, finishing move, that, that you know, that death blow, if you will, uh, that's just going to kind of ultimately end it. And instead, it's like, all right, you know, fourth and 18, they get off the field on that fourth and 18 against a rookie quarterback, mm-hmm. and the game's over. Like, it's right. not even in question. It's not in flux. Like, not, nothing's going on. And Instead, it's a, it's a t- and not only that, not even if you give up the fourth and eighteen, you're still in a really good spot. You know, you, yes, they get a first down, but make them earn the touchdown. But instead, you give up a touchdown on fourth and eighteen, and uh, it's it's just like you know everything's back in the game. Then a three and out, then yeah. a punt return for a touchdown, then another three and out. like it's just like you have these moments in each game where something just goes wrong, and you just want to mm-hmm. get rid of those things because if you just take away really two plays in this entire game, it is a dominant, dominant performance. So I think that those are the things that just kind of stick with you a little bit. No, you're spot on. And a couple times throughout the season, it seems garbage time or really fourth quarter uh, has not gone super well for the Packers. It seems like everything just goes away at that point. And, uh, you know, the Eagles were within a score, which was not how this game felt at all, you know, the, the 50 minutes prior. So, a little frustrating, but they were they had Aaron Jones to figure that one out for them on a 77-yarder there at the end of the game, and, and we'll get to that. But um, otherwise, yes, pretty dominant game for the Packers. Like what we saw for the most part outside of, again, that, that fourth quarter was a little frustrating in, in some capacities. Uh, but milestones all over the place on Sunday, Andy. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw his 400th touchdown pass. That was to Devontae Adams. Uh, now, I know everybody in the world predicted who it would be to. Did you did you predict? Did you pick Devontae? I think I picked MVS, although I never really had any sort of, you know, horse in the race <laughs> or any real gut. 
obviously easy money is going to be on Devontae because, you know, he basically catches, you know, at least a touchdown a game right now. Yeah, but, right. Uh, you know, and he's just playing out of his damn mind. So I think easy money was on uh, Adams. I think I did, you know, at some point in the week, I forget whether it was on a radio show or whatever the heck I was, you know, doing at the time. I think somebody did ask me, and I think I said MBS. But, uh, again, smart money certainly would have been on Adams. No doubt about it, and uh, that's where it went to. So Devontae Adams, the receiver that caught both Rodgers' 200th career touchdown pass and his 400th career touchdown pass, which it's kind of crazy to think that's how long Devontae has been catching touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers because that is a lot of touchdowns in between. Uh, But nonetheless, Rodgers also the first quarterback in NFL history with 35-plus touchdown passes in five different seasons. Uh, He's just that darn special. Uh, Devontae also very special, though, Andy, he eclipsed the 1,000 yards mark, receiving yards mark, on Sunday against Philadelphia, and he joined Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Marvin Harrison, and Jerry Rice as the only wide receivers in the Super Bowl era to hit 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns um, in their first 10 games of a season. Now, that company he's in, Randy Moss, Hall of Famer, Terrell Owens, Hall of Famer, Marvin Harrison, Hall of Famer, Jerry Rice, do you know what he is, Andy? Yeah, also a Hall of Famer, just barely, just barely yeah, made just that barely. Uh, Mendoza line for wide receivers. <laughs> yes, but regardless, I mean, that's pretty special company and what he's been able to do this season. Uh, ridiculous, bananas, every game. You mentioned he's catching a, a touchdown in every game. He had two and over 100 yards on Sunday. This connection, and we'll get to our plays of the game, I'm sure this one will be brought up, but uh, the connection between 12 and 17 was on full display again on Sunday. It's so darn special. Yeah, it really is, and I think, you know, just kind of going over these milestones one by one, first of all, the Rodgers 400th touchdown pass, you know, he was the first to admit, it wasn't like he did uh, a ton on the play, it was just kind of a quick uh, little, uh, you know, pass over to Devontae Adams, and Devontae kind of did the rest of the work along with the blocking um, along the sideline, but um, I, I think the the, the kind of cool of that play was just how his teammates celebrated him. Um, you know, Devontae Adams yeah. down on two knees, you know, kind of handing him the football, well aware that it was number 400. Unlike James Jones, who apparently uh, took number, what, 100 it was 100, and threw it yeah. into the stands, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> um, you know, so I think that, and then, you know, uh, it was Alan Lazard who kind of came in and, you know, put like a, came in, you know, pretended to put a crown on Aaron Rodgers and just, you know, seeing the joy that the the teammates had uh, with Aaron Rodgers, I thought was really amazing. Um, and then you know the the 35 plus touchdowns in five seasons. First of all, I'm shocked that no quarterback has done this. And uh, to be fair, Tom Brady could be another one who does it this year if he gets to 35 touchdowns this season. But um, just crazy again, and, and to have five different seasons with 35 plus touchdowns just shows again how dominant he's been in so many different seasons. Um, and, and really, you know, as he gave credit to as well, you know, all the really good players that he's played with over his time certainly contribute to that also. Um, you know, take a thousand yards on the, the season. It was really funny because what he's had two seasons where he finished with 997. And uh, right before he went over a thousand, he was stuck on nine, 998. And I'm just like, I just wanted to see him catch like a three yard pass before. Like, uh, I just, I like, I almost wanted to go out and put him in bubble wrap to make sure like he didn't get hurt for the year or something. And that he got to a thousand yards. It was just like, it was like destined to be this jinx. But he got over it, got a, a thousand yards. And then, you know, just to be in the same. Uh, you know, sentence as, you know, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Marvin Harrison, and Jerry Rice, you know, four of the all-time greats at that wide receiver position, um, and what, arguably, you know, four of the top five, probably, I mean, at least right there, so, um, you know, Adams has been 
nothing short of incredible. And I kind of tweeted out during the game, he gets rightfully all the credit in the world for being kind of the best receiver at the line of scrimmage with his releases and his route running. He's so ridiculously good. Uh, but I don't think he gets the credit for the contested catchability that he has. And I thought he showed that on multiple occasions. The play that he caught down at the one-yard line, I have no idea how he caught that ball. And then the, the very next play where he catches the, the first touchdown pass, um, again, that's an amazing contested catch uh, situation. Mm-hmm. And then the the play where, you know, Rodgers threw it at basically like the negative nine-yard line backed up in his own end zone, Tay goes up and makes that ridiculous contested catch. Like, he's just at a totally different level right now, yeah. and he's just so fun to watch. And how poetic was it? It was shortly after that MVS drop where, um, you know, he had another deep ball uh, thrown to him, and he's, he's, he pretty much says, yeah, this is how you bring in the deep ball. It was perfectly placed and perfectly executed by Devontae, who, uh, again, uh, just a ridiculous day again on Sunday. His line, 10 catches for 121 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Rodgers, not uh, – yeah, right there. Also just terrific. 25 of 34, 295 uh, throwing and three touchdowns on the day. For A-Rod. So both those guys just hitting at ridiculous levels, peaking at the right time as we near the end of the season, and just so darn fun to watch. I tweeted, and maybe this might have been a heat of the moment uh, thing, but maybe it's, it's, it's true. I said they're the best duo in the National Football League. I think that's totally fair, and I just think they're on a totally different level right now, just even with each other, knowing what each other are going to be doing on a given play. They hit a gorgeous back shoulder at one point in this game. Yeah. Um, that one completion on the, the, the rollout where he just kind of side-armed it off his back foot and Tay's just wide open on a crosser, you know, the intermediate part of the field. Like, they just know, it seems like they know exactly what each other are thinking, very similar to Rodgers and Jordy, um, when Jordy, when both of those two players were really in their prime as well. And I mean... The, the the transformation for Rodgers over the you know going you know into the season over the past three years he's been really good but not near that you know kind of MVP level and just to see him get back to that level and play with such confidence and such anticipation playing within the pocket making the big plays when he needs to I just I could not be more impressed with the season that Aaron Rodgers has put together both of these guys are playing at all pro levels and it just makes this offense so damn dangerous yeah and they were up against Darius play today and, and you mentioned on Twitter you pointed out the the matchups he's had. And I followed up with the matchups he has coming up, assuming he uh, he is healthy. I know he exited the game on Sunday, but he had DK Metcalf last week, Devontae Adams this week, and still this season he's got, what, what are the names, DeAndre Hopkins, Terry McLaurin, Michael Thomas, and Amari Cooper with, with a healthy Andy Dalton, we assume. So definitely uh, not a fun way to end the year for Darius Slay in Philly. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site, according to CompScore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Term and conditions apply. No, not at all. And, uh, yeah, he might he might want that knee injury maybe to linger a couple of weeks. Not really. I know he wants to get out there and compete. He's a hell of a football player. But that is a tough stretch. And even just DK and, and Devontae back-to-back is, is difficult enough in and of itself, especially just because they're two totally different receivers as well. Can't even imagine having to get to, you know, uh, you know get everything together to try to go back-to-back against those two players. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the running game for Green Bay on Sunday, Andy. Uh, cold to start for sure, uh, I think is the best way to put it. Aaron Jones had only, what, uh, what's the quick math here, 53 yards, I think, outside of his 77-yard run there at the end of the game. So nothing off the walls for him outside of that run. Uh, what was your big takeaway from the running game? Was, it, was that an issue or was it not as big of a deal? Yeah, I mean – it's a really interesting scenario, right? Because if I'm Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers is, you know, throwing everything perfectly and Devontae Adams can't be guarded, like it's got to be really ridiculously hard to call run plays in that situation. Um, at the same token, you would like to see the run game have a little bit more success early in the game. Um, you know, Jamal had five carries, 26 yards, a little bit over five yards per carry. Mm-hmm. You know, before that 77-yarder, it would have been 14 for 53 for Jones, which isn't, you know, terrible by any stretch. It's a hair under four yards per carry. Mm-hmm. You know, so... It's not like this was a bad game, and then obviously when you tack on the 77-yarder at the end, that's a huge play and really a huge moment when the game was still in in question at that point. Um, But I think, you know, with the the situation, when they were having so much success passing the ball, you know, and and Devontae's playing the way that he is, I think it's just really tough to kind of stick with the running game. And and you would probably be upset with Matt LaFleur if everything was, you know, running on all cylinders in the passing game and he kept trying to feed the ball uh, to the running backs. So I, I think he did the right thing and kind of stuck with the hot hand in this game. Yeah, that's that's actually really well said. That's the term I was going to use. Stuck with the hot hand, and uh, that that's the smart move in today's game. I agree with you. Jamal did break off a, a nice 18-yard run with his long. We mentioned Aaron Jones' 77-yarder, not quite as long as his buddy AJ's, but uh, pretty close. 18 yards the long for Jamal Williams, who again averaged over five yards a carry. And Aaron Jones finished with an eight-yard average if you count that big long run. So. Uh, that's actually pretty darn good. That's above average um, for that offense. The last thing I want to hit on uh, with this offense, Andy, is uh, 30 points, which is kind of that threshold we've kind of made the mantra of this season, if you will, right? The Packers have scored 30 points in almost you know all of their games, it seems. And when they do that, they typically win. And while they hit that 30-point threshold right on the dot, uh, they had four three-and-outs, which is not really acceptable. That's That's not good, right? Yeah, I, th- I thought this was a really interesting day for the offense. I mean, those four three and outs is a big negative. Of course, they didn't have yeah. um, any turnovers on offense, which is great. Uh, you know, Adams and, and Rodgers and everyone was kind of, again, hitting on all cylinders for the majority of the day. But at the same token, um, you want to see the offense have a little bit more consistency. And some of those three and outs in the second half came at very inopportune times. So I think the thing here is that Green Bay's offense really beat themselves when they, you know, when they weren't, you know, when they weren't able to get drive is going and I think you'd look at it early in the game you had that toss to Aaron Jones that it did really to start the game that what goes for negative six yards and then Lucas Patrick allows a sack on one of the other drives that it stalls you know MVS had the drop down the field like more often than not if you go back and watch this was not the Eagles defense stopping the Packers this was the Packers offense stopping the Packers so I mean that's ultimately a good thing that they were you know so far ahead of the game that it was them that had to kind of trip over their own shoelaces in order to stop themselves 
close, but you just need to clean up a couple of those things. And again, nobody's expecting perfection. Uh, nobody's expecting him to score on every drive or anything like that. But uh, I, th- I just thought it was noteworthy that usually when the Packers were stalled, it was almost because of their own mistakes, not because of something Philly did. No, that's that's well said. Yeah, um, and. You know, this team hasn't been punting a ton this year. I mean, they had several games where, in fact, I don't think they did at all more than once, uh, you know, used J.K. Scott and three or four three and outs, not three four and outs, three four three and outs. Um, you know, it's it's a lot more than we're used to with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he typically leads a pretty efficient offense, especially under Matt LaFleur. It's been efficient against a sneaky good Eagles defense or sneaky competent Eagles defense, whichever one you prefer, um, who stepped up today and was definitely up to the task. But nonetheless, Aaron Rodgers uh, putting up a 30-burger against Philly. On to the defense. Uh, Well, I guess the the, the good note was uh, only 10 of those points were allowed by the defense that the Eagles scored. And uh, the the, the other huge note, which a number that kind of jumps off the page, seven sacks for the Packers' defense against that horrible, horrible Philly offensive line. Yeah, again, I think this was a really interesting game for the defense as well. You look at it as a whole, and really when, you know, for the most part when the game was in, you know, in question, uh, the Packers' defense was really good. And, uh, again, if it's just not for that one play, you look at this defense as having probably their most complete game of the season. It still probably was. Under 300 yards of total offense for the Eagles. You know, Carson Wentz was 6-15 of for 79 yards, took four sacks on the day. Miles Sanders, who was, I believe, second in the league in yards per carry on the season, in 10 carries, 31 yards. You know, they, they kept the receivers pretty in check. Elshon Jeffrey, no catches. Travis Fulgham, no catches. Uh, no catches. Jalen Rager, one catch, 34 yards. He was the one who had the touchdown catch um, on that one play, if I remember correctly. But, um, you know, overall, I thought the defense did a nice job. I thought the coverage was better. You know, to be fair, again, bad offensive line, bad quarterback who got benched in the game, you know, in, a, in an offense that is really playing abysmal football right now. But it's still, you have to go out, you have to play the games, and you have to take care of business. And, again, outside of the one play, they allowed 10 points, um, and including that one play. The six others were on the punt return for the touchdown. So I really think the defense did its job. When you go out and you allow 10 points on defense, have seven sacks, an interception, you're going to win almost every single one of those games. So this is still a winning performance from the defense, but I go back to earlier, just in some of those situations and scenarios, you know, you really want to see them just kind of finish the game and just make that one, one more play. If you go back to, um, what, a couple weeks ago on against the Bears, fourth mm-hmm. and 11, I want to say, Shannon Sullivan has the ability to, you know, really kind of end the game right there when they were still up, what, 41 to 10 at the time. Um, and uh, he has outside leverage on the play on Anthony Miller, um, allows Anthony Miller to get inside of him, and they complete the pass. They go down, score a touchdown, then they get another touchdown on a play because Kevin King dropped an interception that was thrown right to him. And then this game, again, you've got fourth and eight, fourth and 16, fourth and 18, whatever it was, um, against a rookie quarterback. You know, just get off the field. And, again, this is probably a game where you allow, you know, potentially only three points in that game. And it just, again, looks so much better. And we're not – we're not grading on a curve here. We're not grading on style points, but just a couple more plays here and there, and it just looks so much more dominant from from the defense. Yeah, you mentioned that fourth and eighteen play uh, against the rookie quarterback Jalen Hurts, who came into this game in relief of Carson Wentz. Uh, came in and and you know that's that's a fourth down late game, a little bit too close for comfort. That obviously made it a little bit closer. Um, on that touchdown, but fourth and 18, you just want to get off the field, and and they can't. Uh, they eventually score. I think it was a 32-yarder for Greg Ward from Jalen Hurts. 
Uh, unacceptable. What did you see on that play? Was there a breakdown? Did I miss something? Because I know you're looking at the X's and O's a lot more in depth than I am. What happened there? Why were they not able to get off the field and uh, allow that 30-plus yard touchdown? Yeah, that's one I'll be taking a look at the All-22 when it comes out. I haven't had, I'll haven't i be transferring. I haven't had a chance to look at it in too great a detail yet. But, um, you know, you just don't want to see anyone running that wide open in that sort of situation and scenario. Um, you want to see the safety staying deeper than the deep, and obviously you want to see the corner a little bit closer. Again, I, I haven't seen it close enough to see exactly what happened. But either way, you want to see the defense be a little bit more stout in that situation. 100%. Um, but nonetheless, they, they they escape with a W, so we shouldn't be so pessimistic. Um, now, uh, let's, let's move to this note, because I think this is interesting. So Zadarius Smith, who uh, had a sack and a half, uh, Kenny Clark, and Preston Smith went to Coach Petten and asked to be more aggressive, especially at the end of games, which we know, uh, as we mentioned a couple minutes back, that hasn't been the case this season, it seems. What what's that about? Bring me bring me up to speed on that. And uh, you know, did you see anything specifically different uh, this week? I know they were a little bit more successful on the defensive side of the ball. We we saw them collapsing the the pocket. I mean, seven sacks is super impressive. So uh, clearly, something changed and something was working that hasn't been previously. Yeah, I think here's the thing that I like about it overall. I think, first of all, um, it shows you that the the defense wasn't super satisfied with the points that they allowed. And and really what was – it's two different scenarios this week and last week. Last week was legitimate garbage time. The Bears were not coming back in that game. This game, you know, when they allowed that touchdown, that's still a two-possession game, you know, and and certainly within the realm of reason with about, what, like 10 minutes or so, you know, left in the game. So, uh, yes, a little bit more towards garbage time this week, but nowhere near what it was a week ago. So, you know, you you love to see that they cared about those points that they gave up and that they wanted to stay aggressive and that they don't just want to allow the yards up and down the field. So you love that the players cared. Then, too, you love that they, you know, they go to to Coach Patton, that he listens to them and that, you know, kind of hear things out and, you know, what I think it really does is by by kind of listening to them and saying, you know, we'll, we will be more aggressive, it then gains some ownership from those players and Preston, Zedarius, and Kenny because then they have a say and say, you know what, we went to coach and we said we want to be a little bit more aggressive so that we can hunt and get to the quarterback and make those plays like we did a season ago. And if that's the case, then you got to go out because the coach is listening to you. He's going to say, all right, go be more aggressive. As a player, now I, the coach is listening to me. Now i got to back up what I asked for and make sure that I'm getting to the quarterback uh, because he's listening to me, and, and now I'm kind of on the limb uh, if, because I really want this to work and now that they've gone out of their way to listen to me. So I think it just you know really builds buy-in and ownership from those players. And, again, I think this is exactly what you want to see from the leaders on your defense, that they're having these conversations because you know what? It means that these players care enough that they're talking about it with yeah. each other, that, that all of these guys are going up and, and saying, you know what, we got to talk to coach, we want to be more aggressive. And then you love seeing the, the, the coaching staff listen to them and, and kind of play it out on the field. And I did think they were a little bit more aggressive. Um, I thought they were a little bit more aggressive last week. I think they were aggressive still this week. Um, but I, I think you just didn't see, you know, some of the, the off coverages. Unfortunately, maybe the, the fourth and 18 doesn't happen. Again, I want to take a look at it a little bit more uh, to see exactly what happened there. But uh, overall, I like the concept. And I do think that this has got to be a defense that finds that way to finish teams off, be more aggressive at the end of games. We've seen the offense be ultra aggressive going for it on fourth downs, you know, all gas, no break. And I think it is time for the defense to follow that mentality as well. And yeah. I'm happy to hear that conversation took place. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, I really do because you look at you know three of the the best guys really the the top guys and and you know most respected guys after the seasons they all had last year and Z Clark and Preston 
doing that. That's not a doomsday moment by any means. That's not a we don't believe in petting moment. This is a moment of self-reflection and maybe a fire lit under the ass a little bit saying what yep. we've been producing hasn't been enough. And uh, they're reflecting on that and they want to change it because they've got one goal this season, Andy, as every other team besides maybe the Jets has. And that would be they want to hoist the Lombardi. And uh, they know maybe what they were putting out on the field wasn't good enough uh, throughout the course of this season. So that was good to see. But other than those guys stepping up in the locker room, uh, we had a couple guys, a couple second-year guys, in fact, step up on the field on the defensive side of the ball. Kingsley Kiki, how about him having a two-sack day? And Rashawn Gary, uh, the first, the former first-round pick, with a sack and a half for himself. Uh, what did you see out of those guys? It was great to see them in the mix in the, in the offensive backfield. Yeah, first of all, you can really see Rashawn Gary coming along and really oh, starting yeah. to amp up the pressure, play more physical, get under players' pads. Um, I really like the way that he's playing right now. And, it, you know, kind of Darnell Savage and, and Rashawn Gary in the same kind of vein, both of these players were players that over the course of the last month you could really see kind of coming on and, and, and starting to play really good football. You didn't always necessarily see the results, um, but you saw the, you know, you kind of trusted the process that they were going through. And over the course of the last couple of weeks, Savage gets paid off for it with three interceptions over two weeks. And now Gary's starting to pile up some sacks as well. So um really like what I saw out of him. And then, you know, going over Kingsley Kiki as well, it's funny. During the game, I tweeted out, I said, uh, on one of the sacks, I said, Kiki looks like prime Mike Daniels on that rush. Fell down momentarily, but nice play from Kingsley. And literally while we've been recording here, uh, Mike Daniels liked the tweet and said, I agreed, I really like his play. So oh, nice. uh, Mike Daniels uh, in and of himself agreed that, uh, Keeks, you know, Kingsley Kiki was looking a little bit like the uh, the former uh, defensive tackle here in Green Bay. So really liked what I've seen out of him. The, the big thing is I've seen these flashes already this season from Kingsley Kiki. Um, just want to see a bit more consistency. And, of course, you can say that about almost everyone, especially players in their second year. But the fact that he's showing some of those flash plays as a second-year, fifth-round pick, um, really this is his first year with any significant playing time. Um, I just think – you know, we're all caught in the here and now. We all want everyone to be really good right now. Uh, but these things take time. And I think Kingsley Kiki's on a really nice trajectory right alongside Darnell Savage, Elton Jenkins, um, and, and uh, you know, Rashawn Gary in that draft class a season ago is looking really good and really impressive um, for the most part. I think a couple players, you know, Jay Sternberger, Ty Summers, Dexter Williams, you know, a couple of those guys um, might not be on that same exact trajectory, but yeah. uh, you really like seeing it from some of these younger players who are really stepping up in year two. Yeah, I know you kind of expected at least some sort of impact from Kingsley Kiki in the preseason. I think you, you wrote a piece or two surrounding maybe his uprise this year. But I want to ask how impressed you've been with Rashawn Gary. It seems like he has played just tremendously well this year, you know, uh, such progression from his rookie season. What's the big takeaway for, for Gary or from Gary for you this year? Yeah, I think the big thing is he's learn he's learning to play his game a little bit more. So, yeah. you know, early in his career, you saw him want to be a little bit more of a speed rusher. You wanted to see him kind of win around the edge, and that's not really his game. And he could do that at Michigan because he was just such a freak, and offensive tackles weren't as quick out of their stance in college, and, you know, he has the ability just to kind of go by those players. 
In the NFL, you can't go by him. Um, and what he's really learned to do is really convert that speed into power, use bull rushes, get under players' pads, and really affect the pocket and get, yeah. you know, really push uh, offensive linemen back into the pocket and then disengage and then go and make a play, which is what we saw to one of his sacks um, this week. So uh, I think you're starting to see him play a little bit more to his strengths. I think the big thing for Gary is now going to be figuring out counters to that because teams are going to be now sitting back a little bit more on him and expecting more of a bull rush, expecting him to convert speed into power, and now he's going to have to figure out counters. So it's just it, it's it's like this puzzle that kind of keeps you know playing off of itself. It's like it's like playing chess where you have one move, and then, but it's it's mm-hmm. really used to set up another move. And I've seen him use a hump move at times, which he tried today. Um, it wasn't successful with it, but you like seeing him throw some variety in there. It's just going to be now figuring out. Right, I've got I've got a go to move now, which he didn't have last year. Now he's got that go to move. Now how can you build? Uh, you know you've, he's got the foundation. Now what can you build on top of it? And that's what I'm really excited to see. Because, again, the traits are there. The hard work is there. He's now got a go-to move, and now hopefully uh, it can all build on, on top of each other. 100%. I've really liked what I've seen out of him this year. I'll tell you what, Andy. You know, watching the Packers' defense, um, I, I wouldn't have guessed that the Packers were the team that put their starting center on IR yesterday, uh, watching the way they handled the Eagles' offensive line. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Right, no, I agree with you. And I think, you know, that just is a, a testament, one, to the Packers' depth on their offensive line, um, and then, two, to, to really what the Packers were able to do up front. To be fair, the Eagles are pretty banged up along their offensive yes, line as well. Are. Andre Dillard, Brandon Brooks. Um, to say the least, and I know uh, Lane Johnson, I mean, just some really damn good offensive linemen for the Eagles yes. out in this game. So uh, they're definitely be, you know, beat up there as well. But Green Bay, again, did, did their work up front. You don't apologize for who you win against in a game. No, that's 100% true. But, I mean, uh, a lot of credit to Elton Jenkins once again. I know I, I'm kind of an Elton Jenkins stand at this point, as we might all be, uh, given what he's been able to do in his first two seasons. Uh, as a Packer, the versatility, we've mentioned he's played a snap at every position. He started at quite a few. Um, you know, he switched over to center with Lindsley getting put on IR yesterday, or excuse me, on Saturday. So uh, that guy is just so darn good at football. And what were your thoughts about, you know, starting Rick Wagner in this game? Because I know it caught a lot of people by surprise. Were you surprised that Wagner got the nod? I was surprised. I thought we were going to get the Runyon tryout and see what we had against his dad's former team. Obviously kind of a cool storyline with all of that. I was surprised, and right out of the gates he got pushed to the grass. But I didn't hear his name a whole lot after that. Um, so I guess that might be a good thing. But it definitely didn't start great for for him. No, I, I thought Rick Wagner overall, it seemed like had a nice game. Again, that'll be yeah. somebody I'm watching closely this week. But I, I think the the move here was the right one. And, and I can see in, a, in an in-game situation where – if you if somebody goes down like like last week when um, 
when Corey goes down. If, if you want to bring Rick Wagner in, that means you've got to move Elton from left guard to center. That means you've got to move Lucas Patrick from right guard to left guard. That means you've got to move Billy Turner from right tackle to right guard. And then that means you bring Rick Wagner in. So there's four new pieces um, in, in each of the spots oh, right. alongside David Bakhtiari. So in-game, I think you can make an argument that it makes a lot more sense just to you know move Jenkins from from center or left guard to center and bring in John Runyon, so you're really at least the right side of the line can, can you know kind of continue a status quo. I think when you have a week to prepare for a team, I think it does make you know a little bit more sense to maybe get your veteran out there, especially when you've got guys like Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Derek Barnett. This is a very veteran and talented defensive line, along with Malik Jackson and yeah. Javon Hargrave. Like this is not this is a very good defensive group, and of anything on this Eagles team. If there's one group that had the ability to, you know, maybe win a game for you, it's it's their defensive line. So 100%. I think, you know, bringing in the veterans and and letting them just kind of uh, do the the work and and maybe not allow a fluke play by uh, by a rookie left guard who was taken in the sixth round, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of us, myself included, would have liked to seen uh, some John Runyon just to see, you know, kind of what he's capable of doing yeah. in a full game. But I, I think they made the right move here by going with uh, Rick Wagner. But the thing is, Andy, I don't have a huge preference, and that's back to my early point about, you know, the, the Philadelphia offensive line, which is, is was really bad on Sunday, but obviously beat up, as, as you mentioned, um, I, I don't feel worried. And the starting center just got put on into reserve, so he's out at least three weeks. And to know the versatility and the depth of Green Bay's offensive line is, is really comforting almost as, as a Packer fan. A hundred percent agreed. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and the fact that uh, again, not only do they have the depth that is now already survived, but you know Lane Taylor injury and now Corey Lindsley injury, who's on IR for at least three weeks, uh, including this game. You know they, they've still got a good starting lineup, and they still got John running on the bench who they trust. So uh, I think that just gives a testament. They they really went into this season with eight starting offensive linemen, whether they knew it or not, um, and uh, even with some injuries, they've got some depth there. No doubt about it. All right, uh, let's let's switch to a uh, let's switch to an Eagles podcast. Quick, it's not it's too bad we don't have Ben Fennel with us. Um, <laughs> look, uh, we're buried we buried the lead until right now. Jalen Hurts, rookie quarterback, came in for Carson Wentz. It's been talked about, rumored for a few weeks. It was just a matter of when Doug Peterson would pull the plug on Wentz and let and uh, let everybody see what Jalen Hurts has and. To be frank, he looked okay. He, you know, he's got a great arm, really great uh, in placement. Um, didn't get to see a ton from him, uh, but I, I thought what we did see w- was solid out of Jalen Hurts. What'd you see out of the? What'd you see out of the Eagles QBs? Yeah, I think they're just in such a tough scenario because we talked about that uh, that Eagles offensive line being so beat up. Um, do you really want to put in your rookie quarterback who's maybe not <laughs> right. quite ready yet against an offensive line who can barely protect and has given up three sacks, what they say, in like 10 straight weeks? Um, I think it was they given up three-plus sacks. So, uh, you know, do you really want to bring him in, in that scenario? But I think at some point you've just got to I, – I, the other thing is Carson Wentz just needs – a mental break like he's just he's broken right now and I mentioned this to Ben on Friday like you you can't yes he's broken I don't think he's broken up uh you know beyond repair but he needs time to think and he needs time to figure things out so you're just in kind of no man's land with this quarterback situation but um overall I thought Hertz was okay you know goes 5 of 12 for 109 yards the touchdown in the pick 
Um, you could see that he's not fully ready yet, nor should he be. Um, it's really tough for a rookie quarterback. No preseason, no OTA, no rookie mini camp. And, you know, we talked about it with Jordan Love and, and expectations for him. The same goes for Jalen Hurts. But I think just the difference here is that Hurts at least has a, a skill that he can work with, with being able to beat you with his legs as well. And, you know, five carries, 29 yards to, to add on to 109 yards passing. And, uh, frankly, the offense was just able to move the ball a little bit better when he was in there. Was it great quarterback play? Far, far from it. But um, I just think Carson Wentz needs the mental break. And at this point, I think you just got to see what you got with Jalen Hurts. I agree. You, you might as well stick with him now. I, I don't think the Eagles are going to win the NFC East. And even if they somehow do, um, they're not going to make it very far in the playoffs, I don't think. So I agree. Stick it out with Jalen Hurts for the remainder of the season. See what you got. And, uh, from him, but to me, Andy, it looks, it, it seems like, you know, I know nothing about the Eagles in, in comparison to what I know about the Packers, but uh, from what I saw today, it looked like they they threw Hurts in there, and then they were waving the white flag in the third quarter down 17 points, uh, they're running the ball on like third and 17, or 15 yards, not even a first down, would get you into field goal territory, and, you know, obviously that got them nowhere, and it led to a punt down 17 points, uh, I don't know how long, I mean, Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl, so it's hard to just say, you know, get out of town a few years after you do that. But it might be time for a little bit of a rebuild in Philadelphia. But then again, I guess it's not my call to make. My guess is Doug Peterson gets a second or another season on a second season, but another so season. Too. But um, if, if that is the case, which I don't think is a guarantee, uh, if that is the case, I guarantee you you're going to see a lot of changes along the offensive coaching staff, including the new quarterback's coach, potentially a new offensive coordinator. He's going to have to gut a good chunk of his staff if he sticks around, and they're going to they're going to rebuild it with maybe the same figurehead. Um, but I would not be shocked in any way, shape, or form if they did decide to go in a different direction because at some point – if you are an offensive coach and an offensive mind and a quarterback and a quarterback guru and things like that, and you can't figure it out in offense, and uh, you know Carson Wentz, your you know former uh, you know quarterback who was almost an MVP before he got hurt, like he, he's completely broken right now, and you can't figure out anything to fix him. Um, I was talking to Ben about this as well, it's, or maybe it was Tony Pauline. I forget which one it was. One of the two last week. It, it, we've reached a point where it's a lot. It's a hell of a lot easier to replace the coach and hope that he can fix the quarterback than it is to replace the quarterback and hope that he can fix the offense. Very um, true. It is, it is not an easy situation. And to an extent, we saw this uh, not nowhere near what happened with Carson Wentz, but we saw it happen with Aaron Rodgers a little bit. We saw him digress. He didn't have the offensive line and the weapons around him. His eyes started dropping. He got a little bit uncomfortable. His mechanics started to go awry. And uh, Green Bay needed to go in a different direction and figure something else out that they – make no mistake about it. When when Mark Murphy made the introductory press conference uh, with Matt LaFleur, he basically said this hire was made in an effort to make sure that they were getting the most out of Aaron Rodgers for the, the rest of his career in Green Bay. Like, they knew that they needed something different, a unique um, offense, a different spark, something to get Rodgers back on track. And that worked out magnificently. And uh, I, I just think that, you know, it might be time for Philadelphia to think of something something similar. I think you're spot on, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. They're always a very intriguing team, no matter how bad or how good they are. But nonetheless, uh, you, you use the term going in a different direction. So should we start with Jalen Rager or should we start with um, Mason Crosby's extra point miss? Yeah, and I think, as I mentioned at the onset, the special teams was really the disappointing aspect. Oh, man, here. it was. Yeah. And, and, again, you are willing to give some accident forgiveness if this is the first time that this has happened. But, what, over the course of the last month, two punt returns for touchdown, a blocked punt, 
Um, two missed extra points. Yep. Um, there was another holding penalty today. J.K. Scott um, has uh, had really poor punting. The fumble by Darius Shepard. Like this, this went from a very nondescript but mostly average special teams to a completely abysmal special teams over the course of the last month, month and a half. And if you have Super Bowl aspirations, you can't have one of your units that's just an, an albatross and is just costing you yardage and points and things like that. And right now, over the course of the last month, that's where the special teams has been. So I know there's been some injuries. I know they've had to kind of move some pieces around, but the special teams really needs to get stuff together. And outside of Mason Crosby being perfect on field goals so far this season, that's about the last thing that they can really hold on to right now because nothing else is working from a special team standpoint. Bring me into your head. What are you going to ask Sean Menanga on Thursday? I just think that he has to have a, you know, a significant plan uh, in each facet of what's going to go differently for the remainder of the season that's uh-huh. going to get this team back on track. I don't feel like there is an overall dearth of, of talent on special teams. We've certainly seen J.K. Scott punt much better than this. Maybe not Correct. maybe not much, much better, but like he's shown flashes of being a consistent punter over the course of his career. Um, he's never really finished out a season with it, but he's certainly been better than this. Um, we've certainly seen the special teams play without giving up punt returns for touchdowns two times within a month. We haven't seen block punts from this you know team uh, very often. Like, here's the thing: we're not asking for great. We're not even asking for really good. We're just asking to make sure that the offense and defense are the ones that are the, the ones that are really you know making sure that they're the ones figuring out the outcome of the game, not the special teams. So it's, it's you just have to be like the 16th or 17th best special teams. If that's the you know the bare minimum that's being asked of you, you better as you know well have a plan, especially when like a quarter of the teams are already checked out of the season. So go out, figure it out. You've got the players. Now it's time to put some X's and O's out there and figure out what you're going to do to make the special teams um, an acceptable unit because right now it's not. 100% well said. I mean – you you ran over the last month, and that's just it's frustrating to see, you know, the, the the issues that have come out of here within the last month. When I didn't feel like there was a ton early, but um, J.K. Scott not made the tackle is what we've learned in the last month. <laughs> yeah, if, if he's your last line of defense, you're in you're in trouble. <laughs> it's going to the end zone if he's your last line of defense. But nonetheless, uh, Packers again. Uh, whenever we talk pessimism, I'm going to make it optimistic. The Packers still won by two touchdowns. A win's a win. Let's move on. Uh, pick your MVP. I know there's a couple of good options from this game, and we can we can each pick one and then roll over some uh, honorable mentions if you want to do it that way. Yeah, you bet. I mean, in a, in a game where he gets his 400th touchdown pass and was almost flawless throughout the course of the day, I, I know you can make a, a strong argument for Devontae Adams in this game as well, but I'm going Aaron yeah. Rodgers. It's uh, it's low-hanging fruit, but I'm taking it this week, and I'm going Rodgers with MVP of this game. See, so we'll just do we'll do offensive and defensive then, because I'll go the easy route as well. I'll, do, I'll go with the low-hanging fruit of Devontae Adams. He had a terrific week, as we've mentioned several times. Throughout this episode of the Packaday Podcast, uh, let's roll over to the defense. Give me your defensive player of the game for Green Bay. 
Yeah, I'm going to go co-defensive players, and it's going to be the two that I talked about earlier. I'm going Kingsley Kiki and Rashawn Gary. It's it's nice. funny because we feel like this defense needed a little bit of a jolt, and uh, you know, myself and a lot of people kept saying, you know, Zedarius and Preston and Kenny have got to be the ones that step up and get this pressure. And I think all the three of those guys had moments in this game as well, but I thought it was the two second-year guys, Rashawn Gary and Kingsley Kiki, that really brought uh, you know consistent energy, effort, intensity, and uh, I was excited what I saw. Again, uh, everything's in asterisk right now. What we're just a few hours removed from the game as we're recording this right now. Um, so I, I want to watch it in closer detail. And, and mm-hmm. going back to Preston Smith uh, a week ago, everyone was, you know, all head and heels over how Preston Smith was back and he played great. But when you go back and watch the tape afterwards, and, and, and I had a chance to do that during the week, you see that, yes, it was one nice sack. The, the fumble recovery for a touchdown was basically kind of right place, right time. Um, and then through the rest of the game, he really struggled with getting much pressure and he didn't actually have that great of an overall game, even though he had a couple big impact plays. Mm-hmm. So I want to see how those guys did on a down-by-down basis when I go through it throughout the week. But as of right now, I'm going to give it to those two guys. I, I like that answer. Um, you know, obviously, Rashawn Gary with a sack and a half, as did Zedaria Smith with a sack and a half. Um, Darnell Savage had the crazy athletic interception at the end of the game, which is his third pick in two weeks. Uh, also had two tackles. On the day, I missed that play earlier, bringing it up when we were talking about the defense. Holy crap, was that awesome! The interception by uh, Savage, Darnell, yeah, yeah, it really was. It was a great interception, and again, you can see that he's he's just playing more instinctual football, and, and the game has really slowed down to you know for him to some extent. Um, so I think you start right there. He did have a couple, you know, missteps in this game. He gave up right. a couple completions. Right. He tried to do a speed turn again and just fell flat because, you know, a little bit because of the slippery surface. So it wasn't a perfect game by Savage by any means, but you just love seeing him play with a little bit more intensity and uh, just reacting a little bit quicker. Yeah, it seems the defensive backfield has really stepped it up as of late. We've been hearing a lot of Adrian Amos, who had four tackles again in that one, as well as Raven Green, who's kind of obviously plays all over the place. But he got... Uh, passed an offensive lineman earlier in the game. He slipped and then got back up and, and still got credited for half a sack on Carson Wentz. That was a really fun play to watch 24 uh, break through the line. But nonetheless, you know, when the defense actually has plays where they're fun to watch, they're not as frustrating as they have been at some points this year. But uh, good win for the Packers nonetheless. Play of the game, Andy. What was the, What was the play of the game to you? Because I think there's a couple of good options here as well. Yeah, a lot of good options. I got to go with the Aaron Jones touchdown run, though. It's just, you know, kind of a great way to kind of seal the victory. And it was everything about it. Jones ran hard on the play. The offensive line really set him up for success to begin with. And then MBS made like three ridiculous blocks on the play. David Bakhtiari's like 100 yeah. yards downfield. And I think Bakhtiari awesome. tied Aaron Jones uh, at getting to the end zone at the exact same time, which is crazy. I think they clocked him at over 16 miles per hour on the play, which uh, for a left tackle is crazy. And then, um, you know, even other players that you saw going down the field, Devontae Adams was down there looking for blocks. Elton Jenkins was down there looking for blocks. Like, that's that's what it's all about in, in a big situation when the game is still on the line. Seeing a play like that, I, I think that was kind of the, the one that brought everything together in this game. For sure. And, yeah, you mentioned Bakhtiari getting all the way down there. It was awesome to see the big man just sprint. Uh, That's 69 hustle, baby. Uh, I will go with the other really fun play, which was on the drive Aaron Rodgers through his 400th uh, career touchdown pass. And that was that long uh, 40, I think it was 42 yards. Does that sound right, Andy, to Devontae Adams? Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, uh, when they were at their own one-yard line and, and nine yards deep in the end zone, I think is how you described it earlier, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron and out in pressure and finding Devontae Adams. 
And that, that was really a play where you sat back, relaxed, and go, holy smokes, are we spoiled with this fantastic duo. They're just ridiculous to watch sometimes. And that was one of those plays, and it led to Aaron Rodgers' uh, 400th career touchdown pass. So that'll be my play of the game. Uh, so quick injury notes. Jay Sternberger, Tyler Urban with an ankle, Billy Wynn uh, with a triceps, if I'm not mistaken. Raven Green and EQ St. Brown all left this game and all did not return. Uh, I know it's already Sunday night. We probably don't have any updates. I was doing a show while Matt LaFleur talked to the media, but you were part of that media. What do you have? Yeah, no injury updates that I heard of uh, from anyone, so we'll see. I know a couple of them were concussions, including Jason EQ. Um, you know, you hate to see Tyler Irvin go down with another injury. You hate hearing triceps injury for Billy Wynn. For a big uh, guy, not right? Sure was for uh, Raven Green, but the fact that none of them returned is obviously not a great sign. Uh, we'll see what their availability is this week, but um, I mean, uh, yeah, you just hate seeing five guys go down in, in any game, um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully they're able to get some of those guys back uh, next week, and none of them are hopefully long term. Yes, and I thought it was interesting too. Sorry, I thought it was interesting too. Um, Josh Jackson was an inactive for this game, and uh, he had no injury designation yeah. on Friday. You know, he was on the injury report, but practiced in full and didn't have any designation, which means he wasn't questionable or anything like that. So, um, really interesting. You don't know if he had something that flared up with his previous concussion or if uh, he was a healthy scratch. Um, but either way, that's somewhat intriguing in, in, in not necessarily a positive way. Yeah, definitely interesting on that note. But I was going to say, it sucks to see anybody go down ever, but Swerve, who came back Sunday, um, is already uh, leaving a game early his first game back. So hopefully uh, he'll be able to get back too. And it was good to see uh, him out on the field this week after a couple weeks uh, injured. So... NFC playoff picture, Andy, has gotten pretty interesting. Um, the Saints beat Atlanta 21-16 to um, on Sunday, and Seattle, who uh, had the same record as Green Bay, lost to leave Green Bay alone in second place in the NFC. Now, Seattle didn't only lose, Andy. They lost to um, <laughs> the New York Giants. <laughs> yeah, and I think – and the Giants have been playing better football, but I think that just goes to show you why, like, you, you can't take these games for granted. You know, like, yes, they beat the Bears, and yes, they beat the Eagles, and yes, they beat the Jaguars, but, like, the, the Vikings almost lost to the Jaguars, you know, today. The Seahawks lose to the Giants, and... um these are NFL teams that still play with a lot of pride. And, and, and you know, the, the Eagles were a team that with a win are still within the NFC East playoff picture. And Doug Peterson's job might be on the line. And Carson Wentz's job might be on the line. Like, these are teams that are trying ridiculously hard to still beat the snot out of you. And if you heard some of the rumblings this week out of Philadelphia of, like, the team meetings that they were having and, you know, how, uh, you know, uh, Carson Wentz took uh, responsibility in team meetings and says he has to play better, like, you can tell how much that this really meant to the, the Eagles and that they really wanted to bounce back. And, like, some of that stuff was like, oh, God, they're really going to come out on fire. And I'm sure they did come out very passionate. The Packers just had answers for all of it. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's always surprising to see some of those losses, but it also goes to show why you can't take some of these wins for granted. 100%. And uh, just to go back to the, to the Giants over the Seahawks quickly, um, I don't know if it's 2014, but the Seattle Seahawks didn't lose to Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, Andy. They lost to Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris, who's apparently still in the league. Yeah, it, it was a surprising result. The Giants' defense is playing out of their damn minds right now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, that's a really good group, and uh, you know, I, I think that group in and of itself might get them in the NFC playoffs, which is crazy. Uh, Joe Judge has done a really nice job there as well, but um, yeah, it's, it was surprising. No matter way, what way you spin it, it was a very shocking loss for the Seattle Seahawks that they lost to Colt McCoy in that Giants offense. No, 100%, and uh, Blake Martinez, the leading tackler for that New York Giants defense. There you go. There you go, a little Packer tie. To tie it up, so the Packers, again, alone in second place in the NFC, only a game back of the Saints, who, of course, they beat earlier this year. So as long as they can keep pace and eventually uh, get to the same record uh, as them, they will have the number one seed in the NFC. So, uh, Andy, I mean, four games left. Are you feeling pretty good about where they're at? Uh, Obviously, this year, different than past years, as only the number one seed in each conference gets a bye rather than the top two in, in past years. Uh, but how are you feeling about the Packers' chances now, only a game back of the Saints? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. I, I really like that um, you know the, the Packers are in the number two spot right now. I think if you look at the the Saints' remaining schedule, you know the Saints go to New Orleans or excuse me to uh, Philadelphia next week, which um, just based off of what we saw at Philadelphia, I think you know New Orleans should probably get that relatively easy. But you know road games are always a little bit unique, and maybe they start Jalen Hurts, and maybe that gives the Eagles' offense a little bit of a boost. Um, you know, and they still have Taysom Hill at quarterback, at least for now. We'll see what happens with Drew Brees. But, um, you know, that's an interesting game. Then you've got the, the Saints versus the Chiefs and the Saints versus the Vikings. And, you know, one of the other pieces of the playoff picture with the Cardinals losing and uh, the Vikings somehow winning in overtime against yeah. the Jaguars, wow. you know, which, which was crazy that it took them to overtime, I guess I should say. Um, the Vikings are now in the final playoff spot. So the Vikings are really going to need that win uh, to kind of keep things there, to keep, th- you know, keep pace with probably the Cardinals and potentially even the 49ers as well. So, uh, you know, that's a game that the Vikings are going to really care about on Christmas Day. So that Saints-Vikings game is interesting. It could make strange bedfellows where the Packers are cheering for the Vikings in that game, which is never fun. Um, and then the Saints have the Panthers on the road, too, to, to end the season. So two road games and then two games against play, potential playoff teams with the Chiefs and Vikings. If the Packers can win out, if the Packers win out, which is, you know, of course not a guarantee, but if they can and they'll be favored in all four games, um, they just need one loss in those four games from the Saints, and uh, the, the Packers would be the number one seed and get that by, which would be huge for a variety of different reasons. One, you you know obviously don't have to play somebody, but two, you know, with having a very early bye week early in the season, having an extra bye just to kind of get players healthy and rested and things like that could be a huge advantage. I know people are already going to have nightmares about how the Packers have played off after buys. Um, mm-hmm. But most of those losses on the buys have been on the road, haven't necessarily been so much at home. So, uh, and they, they, you know, they, they played well uh, in, in some of those situations in the past. So I think it's still obviously advantageous for the Packers to, to get that win, get the buy, and hopefully get that number one seed overall. 100%. I don't think there's any stupid analytical debate we could have that would say the Packers don't want that buy or shouldn't get that buy or whatever. I think everybody should be on agree- in agreement with that. And if you're not, I'd be very intrigued to hear why. Because look at the last time they had a buy in the playoffs, Andy. That would be, oh, yeah, only last year. And, oh, yeah, they beat the Seahawks in the divisional round last year off of a buy. Yep. So, um, you know, they've had the regular season woes for sure the last couple of years. But nonetheless, um, they were good off the buy last year. I think they can do it again if it results in a playoff game in January at Lambeau Field. Let's uh, quickly look ahead to next weekend as the Packers travel to Detroit who um, who 
Yeah, they were in a crazy game today. I guess I don't even know how to start that. They they beat the Bears at the very last minute. Uh, again, is it 2014? Because Adrian Peterson scored the game-winning touchdown over the Bears. Both teams now 5-7. and seven. Um, But, yeah, so the Lions actually still technically in contention uh, at 5-7. and seven. And they're looking to definitely hurt Green Bay any way they can. So, uh, what, what are you what are you looking ahead to uh, next week, Andy? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a little bit more interesting game with no Pat, Matt Patricia. I'm a little bit, you know, ticked off that you know, one, the Packers didn't get to go against Bill O'Brien in Houston. They fired him before yeah. the Packers could go, and now they fire Matt Patricia before the the Packers can face him again. So, uh, you know, th- those games each probably got exponentially harder by the teams firing their coaches ahead of them, but. Um, you know, in all seriousness, I think this is a game that Green Bay won at home by 21 points. Um, I think early in the game was certainly much closer than that. I think Detroit was up like 14 to three, weren't they? Uh, 14 to three, yeah, they were up 14 to three in the first quarter in that game. Yep. So, um, you know, we saw Detroit come back against Chicago. Um, Chicago's not exactly playing great football right now, but uh, this is a team again that if you're not careful, uh, can play you tough. So. Be a 325 game in Detroit, and uh, I think Green Bay will take care of business. But I think it'll be fun, a fun one that uh, the entire team will be breaking down all week long. Yeah, it's uh, it's a divisional matchup. It's on the road, and we've seen some crazy games uh, at Detroit when when Green Bay goes to visit Ford Field. So uh, um, I imagine it'll be no different in December in a year where you know the, the Lions just coming off of a crazy win over Chicago. The Packers have been rolling. They're, they're looking to keep pace with the Saints, as mentioned. So I imagine Sunday's afternoon game will be fun against the familiar Lions. All right, Andy, final takeaways from Sunday's win for Green Bay. Go ahead. Yeah, I guess I don't have too much different than uh, kind of what we discussed already. I, I like the overall performance from the defense and the offense. A few blips on the radar with the three and outs, with the, the, the long touchdown pass from Hurts to Greg Ward and, and some things like that. But um, overall, like the performance, special teams has got to improve. And I think if they can do that, I, I like that the pressure is starting to come up at the, at the right time of the season. And uh, hopefully that can continue the rest of the way here. So no, nothing too extraordinary other than what we've discussed so far. How about you? Yeah, I'm with you for the most part, but just again, I'd like to double down on the fact that I can see some fires getting lit under some butts, and this yeah. team is is implementing almost, if you will, a, a sense of urgency that's really good to see. They've now won two straight. They've scored over 30 points in each of their last three games, and they're feeling good. And I, I think this team, you know, although it has its issues, every team in the NFC has its issues, and we saw some of those issues ironed against or ironed out against Philadelphia on Sunday some things from the defense that were really encouraging moving forward and we hope that throughout the month of December and of course uh, that that uh, early January game against Chicago that this team just continues to look more sharp and ready for a deep playoff run because they were so close last year but I know you and I'd be pretty darn happy if they were you know playing two weeks later than they were uh, last year. So that'll do it for the Monday edition of the Packaday podcast on the Blue Wire Network. That's Andy Herman. You can find him on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I'm Alex Strofe. We'll see you in a few weeks.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.